0: The Bay of STEM Global Competitiveness Conference and the U.S. Marine Corps presents Marine Corps Leadership Seminar, a professional development seminar featuring Director of the Marine Corps Leadership Seminar, Dr. Kenneth Dunn, Mechanical Engineer, Captain Michelle Chadwick, Infantry Officer, Captain Taylor Paul, Manpower Officer, Captain Charlene DeLuce, and data analyst, Captain Oludari Adeniji. As the Marine Corps Leadership Seminar continues to move toward a more diverse officer corps, the need to engage top talent throughout our country will increase. MCLS is a simple, cost-effective way to engage students and influencers that takes advantage of the Marine Corps legacy of producing ethical leaders in an uncertain national security environment. As part of a larger initiative to improve minority representation in the Officer Corps, the MCLS began as a result of ACMC's direction to reach out to colleges and universities using leadership as the common denominator. The program's objective is to showcase the tremendous leadership opportunities that the Corps has to offer young college graduates the MCLS program will foster and grow a positive impression of the Corps by connecting with and communicating a message of leadership and integrity to a diverse population of students, faculty, and community influencers. Without further ado, the Bay of STEM Global Competitiveness Conference and the U.S. Marine Corps presents Marine Corps Leadership Seminar, featuring Dr. Kenneth Dunn, Captain Michelle Chadwick, Captain Taylor Paul, Captain Charlene DeLuce, and Captain Oludare Adenije.
1: All right, just to make sure that you all know, this is the Marine Corps Leadership Seminar. They, they, uh, that little placard out, outside says something about resumes or something, <laughs> you know, so that's not us. This is the, uh, this, is a, this is the Marine Corps slice of Baya right now. Okay. All right. And I'm, uh, I'm really glad that you all uh, take some time out of your busy Bayer schedules to come on in. Okay. Hey, listen, I'm Dr. Ken Dunn. I'm, uh, I'm the director of the Marine Corps Leadership Seminar. All right. And what we do is we come in and we give you an idea of what Marine Corps Leadership is. We can't, it's not, this is not Paris Allen or San Diego. All right, so we can't take you from square one. But what we do is we give you a snapshot of what, uh, what captains in the Marine Corps, what they do, in a lot of ways how they think, or how we hope they think. Okay, how we train them to think. All right, just, the Marine Corps Relationships and we've been on deck now for about 10 years started by uh, one of our assistant commandants of the Marine Corps. He tasked me to put this together. This is not recruiting, all right? You see a lot of Marines standing around waiting to sign you up, but this is not recruiting, but it's subliminal recruiting, you know what I mean? You may like what you hear, Mr. Gunter. You may like what you hear and say, listen, I want to join the Marines right now. That's right. Okay, but it's, uh, this is education. The best thing, the best way if you get the most out of this is to ask questions, okay? Everybody's looking for leaders. It doesn't matter if you go to college, We want to go to school, Stephen? I go to FIU. You go to FIU? Okay, all right. Once you graduate from FIU and someone signs you up to work for them, Boeing, Lockheed Martin, all right, Erston Young, they're going to count on you to be a leader. Now, it may not be a platoon like it would be in the Marine Corps, but you're going to lead something. And if you can't lead, eventually they're going to show you the door. You know what I mean? All right. So the Marine Corps says, hey, listen, we can can take you in four years training to be a world-class leader come in, after you graduate from college, come in as a second lieutenant, all right? Four years later, you can leave as a first lieutenant or a captain, and they'll be banging down the door to get you because you'll be a smart guy, and then you'll also have this uh, Marine Corps leadership underneath your belt. Okay, so what we're gonna do, we normally have a six-hour block. What's your name, young lady? Hasey. Hacy? Okay, I got my hearing aid in, so I can hear a little bit. So, um, what we're going to do, this is going to take six hours, okay? But we've tailored it for BAYA, bail- bail- so it's 75 minutes. So, it's going to come at you hard, fast, okay? And then we're, we're going to go with some ethical leadership case studies, all right? But we're going to, we have to stay on time. Now, this is the Marine Corps Leadership Seminar. We're in um, Wilson Room C on the mezzanine. I have to do that. that's that's the uh that's the BIA part. I gotta pay some bills. Make sure they know that we're doing this. Now, our, my instructors will use a microphone today because they're recording everything for Bayer. All right? Hey, listen, it's a Friday, Valentine's Day. You're here getting instruction from the Marines, doesn't cost you a thing. All right, but the way we teach the leadership seminar is through these captains. Okay? The captains will introduce themselves here shortly, but we think that the best way that we can tell the Marine Corps' story is through Marines, you know? That's that's the theory. It's not a lot of, we don't have a lot of handouts, all right? We're just saying, hey, listen, pay attention to what these guys do. And for the rest of the Bayer Conference, if you see them, ask them about it. You know what I mean, if you still got questions? Okay. I'm a Naval Academy graduate. I'm an old guy, class of 1974. Okay. I served 30 years in the Marine Corps. The neighborhood was a lot different when I was there, though. 30 years in the Marine Corps, retired as a colonel in 2004. Got my doctorate in education in 2008. So I not only teach the leadership seminar, but I'm a historian and I teach and I wrote a book. Okay. All this is education. It's not recruiting. All right. it's None of that other stuff. It's education. We want to Educate you a little bit on the Marine Corps. Okay? Now what we're gonna do is we're gonna have these hard charging captains uh, introduce themselves. Come on up, ladies and gentlemen, please. I'll step aside for a second.
2: Thank you, sir. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Captain Michelle Chadwick. I'm a combat engineer officer. This basically means construction, vertical and horizontal construction, and demolition. That's what I do for my, my military occupation specialty, but currently I'm in a B-billet, my secondary secondary tour outside my MOS. And what I do is I manage the Equal Opportunity and Diversity Management program for the Marine Corps. I'm stationed at Quantico, uh, just a little bit south here.
3: My name is Taylor Paul. I'm an infantry officer by trade, which means I lead a bunch of 18-year-olds carrying guns for a living. Um, I was in Hawaii before this with an infantry battalion, and currently I'm in my B-billet at Marine Barracks, Washington, uh, marching around and looking good, so.
4: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Captain Charlene DeLuce, originally from Miami, Florida. I am a manpower officer, which really just translates to human resources. Absolutely love what I do, and that's it. Looking forward to being here.
5: Uh, good afternoon, Dari Adeniji. I'm a captain in the Marine Corps as well. I also work at Quantico. Uh, I'm originally trained as a ground supply officer, I now work as a data analyst, uh, outside of that, that's pretty much it.
1: Thanks, Captains. Hey, listen, this is a heavyweight slice of Marine officers, all right? Two have been to Monterey, okay? One is at 8th and I. The other is, is on her way to do some work with the Senate. You know what I'm saying? This is a heavyweight group of young men and young women. So pay attention when they speak. Okay, before we get started, any questions? You sure? You ready to go? All right. Okay, Captain Chadwick, let's go.
2: Good afternoon. So today we're going to be teaching you about leadership, morals. We're gonna put you in some decision case studies. So I hope you take notes and I hope you take what we teach you, put some of the tools in your toolbox as we like to say, and are able to apply them in whatever you wanna do. It doesn't matter where you are in your career, we're hoping the things that you learn today, you can take and apply them to whatever is your endeavors are, good to go? And if you have any questions, please ask us. We briefly went over. Dr. Dunn briefly went over the agenda, but this is some of the things we're going to talk about today. And f- please feel free at any point throughout this presentation to please take pictures of the slides if you want to remember the material. Can I get someone to read this for me? Come on, really loud. Yes, sir. Go ahead.
1: When you a slight few lead, but we need something you're born with or learn. Leadership must be
2: effective. You know, I really wish I had a recording of your voice as you read that. That was perfect. So what does that mean to you? So a couple of
6: things. And again, that I mean, the only select few can lead is obviously that's sort of self-evident. But the other thing is whether or not you have leadership as a natural ability you're not with, or it's something that you a skill you develop, regardless that you need to continuously practice it for it to be effective.
2: Absolutely correct. One of the things I like to say is leadership doesn't care. If you're black, if you're white, if you're gay, if you're straight, your religious preference or your ethnic preference or where you come from, no matter where you do or or what you do or where you come from, you have to practice your skills. You have to practice them. Any questions on that? The next uh, instructor is going to be Captain Taylor.
3: Hey, so I'm the energy guy. I'm here to to get the energy pumped up, all right, for the rest of the 75 minutes. So... All right, so here's what we're gonna talk about. We're gonna talk about values. We're gonna talk about leadership principles. We're gonna talk about a couple of good things, all right? So first of all, honor, courage, commitment. Those are the three values that we as Marines hold really dear to our hearts, all right? So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say, hey, let's stand up and talk. I'm gonna talk first, all right? I'm gonna open the door, okay? So what do these mean to me? Okay, these are uh, guideposts, right? These are signposts along the way. How do I live a just and virtuous life? And at the same time, lead young men and women, develop young men and women into effective leaders, right? Um, looking at these three things, they all work together. We'd like to say it's like a stool with three legs. Without um, all three of the legs, um, you know, a, a virtuous life, virtuous leadership cannot exist, right? So, does somebody out there see one of these things, and one of these things just jumps out to them? Don't be shy. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna start calling on people if we don't raise hands. Oh, you make it, you made eye contact right there. What do you think? Not, not you, not you. Okay, either in the back. What do we got? Okay, why commitment? I like that. Unwavering dedication. All right, that's a great way. What do we got? Why courage? Okay, that's a good point, to be able to stand up in front of people, right? Honor. Honor, Why honor? That's a great point, right? If you don't have a set of values, it's hard to instill values in other people, right? All right, so we're going to go ahead and move on here. All right, so leadership principles, right? There's a lot. This is a lot, okay? Um, What I'm going to ask you guys is just go ahead and read this. And while you're reading this, I'm going to tell you what's important to me. That way, again, I'm going to get the conversation started. I'm going to tell you what's important to me. Now, what you guys are going to understand about this is the thing that jumps out to you is going to tell me a lot about you. It's going to tell me a lot about the way that you like to lead. So which one of these jumps out to you is going to tell me a lot? Okay, I'm going to tell you right here. It's a double one for me, all right? So the first thing I think is important to kind of echo off what the gentleman back here said, know yourself and seek self-improvement, all right? Because if I don't know myself, if I'm not constantly striving to improve myself, how how will I ever learn to lead others? Right? How will I ever learn to lead others? The second one that I like down here is develop a sense of responsibility among your subordinates because the in state of leadership is that you should be creating more leaders, right? And the primary way that we create more leaders is to develop people who take responsibility for themselves and their own actions, right? Okay, I prepped the battlefield, who's got one that they want to talk about? You made eye contact, what do you got?
2: Um I think that sometimes people don't make the best or don't perform their best because they're not informed or they're not, you know, they don't know exactly what's expected of them. So if they do, then it's better.
3: So you as the leader, you're setting the task, you're creating the in-state, but if you don't tell everybody where you're going, can they come with you? You're just walking by yourself, right? That's a great point. What else What else jumps out to people in the crowd? Sir, I'm going to come back here to you.
7: Uh, know your Marines and look out for their welfare. The uh, greatest way to gain buy-in is to make sure that everybody knows that you really care. Right. Right.
3: And also as a leader, that means tailoring our approach to each and every single one of our um, subordinates. And the only way we can do that is by knowing them, correct? I'll take one more. Sir, what do you got? Train your Marines as
6: a team. Uh, I, I work in consulting, so I mean, having a collegial, a collaborative unit is the most important thing. Uh, one link breaks, the whole the whole engagement's gone. Yeah.
3: And, and I think that's an important thing to recognize as well. Is leadership is not about one person. Leadership is about the team, right? If you're a great leader, but you can't can't train other leaders, what do you have? You know, and if you train a bunch of great leaders, but you're not a great leader yourself, what do you have? So I think that there, there's a collaboration there, exactly like this gentleman said. Okay. We're gonna go ahead and move on to the next slide. So leadership traits, right? So these are a little bit different than what we just talked about. Okay, it's a little bit more succinct. We use the acronym JJ Did Buckle for these, okay, just to help us remember when we're going through OCS. There we go, there's more of them. Okay. Uh, just help us remember while we're going through OCS. Okay. So again, go ahead and look through these. And while you're looking, I'm gonna talk. Okay, I'm gonna again prep the battlefield. So the the thing that really jumps out to me when we talked about this is justice, okay? To me, justice means treating everyone the same, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what they look like, regardless of how their performance is, right? Now, that's important to me because the Marine Corps is a diverse collection of people, a diverse collection of people who want different things, who join the Marine Corps for a different reason and want to go somewhere with their service, but it's all different, right? My ability to treat every single one of those people the same, regardless of the circumstances, and provide justice for the group ensures um, cohesion. Does that make sense? If I'm able to provide justice and treat everyone the same, that provides cohesion, okay? All right, I've talked. I've prepped the battlefield. What do we see up here that we like? You three gentlemen that just walked in, you guys you guys have something? Okay, and why do you like dependability?
7: It's yourself or anybody else. If people can depend on you, um, you'll probably be the first one to know and you'll kind of create a character right. uh, for yourself or you've been chosen your be uh, So I think that's extremely important for people to know that they can trust you, whether you subordinates looking up to you know that they can depend on you to take care of them or even know that your marine
3: will accomplish the mission. Right. So people able to trust you, right? Sorry, so I, your hand up.
6: Oh. I like endurance okay. because at times leadership gets hard and like leading everyone can get stressful. But if you endured through the pain, the struggle, then like that just shows that how good of a leader you are because it's not going to be easy all the time. So endurance is the word that sticks out to me.
3: And that's, and that's a great point because, yeah, you have to have a lot of physical endurance, right? You have to be able to, to lead, right? But what about emotional endurance, right? You have to have a deep, deep reserve of emotional strength to be able to lead effectively, right? You have to be able to take a lot of emotions into yourself, be able to process those emotions, and to be able to produce something that is effective in order for you to lead. All right, I'm going to take one more. Do I have one more? Someone hadn't talked yet. Sir, right here in the front. Why do you like unselfishness? Um,
6: Because. Uh, it shows it shows your team that you're just as much involved in whatever's going on as they are, uh, and that you're not you don't hold yourself above them. That you're in the that you're in the muck with them, and you're trying to all move towards the same goal, same purpose. And uh, it can really um, bring your team together and create unit cohesion, and then you can accomplish your goal.
3: I like that. So one quick story from me. Okay, very first day of uh, training in school, they said, "Open up your notebooks in the front cover. Right, it's not about me." All right, turn to the back cover, right? It's not about me. Every time you open up your book, make sure you read that part, it's not about me, okay? All right, these are all great examples. Here's one thing that I'd like to talk about. So this is a lot, right? And then on top of that, we have all the leadership principles, right? Is it possible to live all of these principles all the time? I would say no, as someone who has tried pretty hard (laughs) for the last eight years, pretty hard, right? So if you cannot live all of these values all of the time, what do we do? We never stop trying, never stop trying. I like that. If, you just, if you're just a, a whirling dervish of energy, like Michelle, you can do that. You can never stop trying, right? What, what are the ideas we have? Prioritize. Prioritize, right? I had someone tell me once, pick three things you care about and really, really, really care about those things, all right? So maybe you can't live all these things all the time because there's only room for so many penguins on the iceberg, right? Like it's just, there's only so much capacity, okay? But if you pick three things you care about, and you care about those things, and you enforce those things every single time, you're going to be successful. Does that make sense? OK, so we've talked about the foundation. All right, these are the foundational underpinnings of what you guys are going to get for the rest of this class. All right. OK, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over now. Good afternoon
5: again. Captain Ananiji, has previously introduced. Uh, so the ice has been broken. That's how I'm looking at that. So everybody should be ready to talk slash have a conversation now. Uh, from this point forward, I. I expect engagement in the sense that I don't, I'm not here to lecture at all. So uh, help me make it through this with you. Cool? All right. So how do we make good decisions faster than our opponent? That's the question posed. No wrong, no wrong answers, anybody. So I got plan, be prepared for scenarios you're going to encounter. I got gut feeling, and I got reference something. Okay. In the back. So know yourself and seek self improvement. Right? Okay. Know your opponent and hopefully they're not self-improving. I got you. <laughs> and sir. Muscle memory. Right. Yeah. And be ready to with withstand what comes at you. Matter of fact, I'm gonna insert something here. So I went to the academy, uh, class of two thousand eleven. One of the um Navy rules rules of the Navy is on the strength of one link in the cable dependent the mind of the chain who knows what now may be tested. So live that doubt bearish the strain, you said it in less words. But essentially, it's, it's something that a lot of us live our lives by right because there are people who are always dependent on you to the right and the left of you. But if you're the, the chain that breaks, the rest of the chain is useless. So I, I fully agree with you. I'm going to push here, you're going to hear some things that you guys have already said, they're going to pop up on the slide. it's going to seem redundant. It's fine. We'll say them again. Option A and option B. So who wants to buy a car in here? Anybody in the in the car car buying market? Okay, what 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 is your metric for choosing the right car for you? Fun. Okay. Somebody else. Okay, so fun utility, correct? Anybody else? Ma'am. Pay for it. Nice. 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 Way to bring the crowd down. Nice. Pay for it. Okay. So we were talking about uh, how we make decisions, right? And what I heard was we're, we practice for scenarios we're going to encounter. We reference things, and muscle movement, muscle memory there was one more. I'm missing it. It was over from this side. Either way, gut feeling, that was you. Yeah, never mind. I remember. So rationale calculation, fact-based decision-making, and it's based on the scenario that you're in <laughs> at that time. Uh, how do you make a fast decision when you're in a scenario that you've seen before? I would, I would allude to what you said. Uh, you depend on the knowledge gained when you practiced it, right? Uh, are there scenarios that you can, you can give for that? Let's say. So I'll toss one out there. Uh, professional athletes, right? They're running plays and they're running plays hoping that you'll do something based on their reaction, right? On their action. And then they want to counteract that reaction. That's practice. like, if I do this, I think they'll do that. And before they do it, I'll punch them in the mouth. Right? That's how you do it. Okay. Uh, intuition and gut feeling, gut feeling. Was that you? Were you gut feeling? Okay. I keep forgetting you. Sorry. Gut feeling. Please. You have siblings. Are you the youngest? You are the youngest. So your elder siblings have had bad gut feelings when you've gotten in trouble because likely it's going to get them in trouble as well.
7: (laughs) <laughs>
5: I say that being the youngest myself. So, gut feeling. Let me, let me, let me push on that for a second. Uh, matter of fact, let me, let me make it a little bit more serious. You've been out with your friends. I don't know how old you are. One of you have been out with your friends. You've been drinking, having fun. Everybody's had a couple of drinks. There's a DD. He had two beers or she had two beers. Your gut says nobody should drive home. Do you say something? Are you sure? Okay. How do you get home? Four of you, one car, that Escalade came in looking tight. How do you get home? Uber. Uber. Okay, is that is that is that a consensus? Is that something easy that's do, that's easy to do in the moment? And lastly, here emotion, emotional decisions. Can they? I mean, uh, emotional decisions are they good or are they bad? They're usually bad. Okay, is that a consent? Who says they're good? Does anybody say they're good? There we go. There we go. Please.
7: Uh, I I i right. Um situationally dependent. Um, like I, I do martial arts, I do self defense mm-hmm. things like that. One of the things that would be emotionally uh, charged is if I'm walking in the parking lot and I see somebody attacking a woman, a child, or an elderly person. That's going to cause some emotion in me, and I'm going right. to jump in. All right. But if if I in a different situation, oh, or, um, yeah. <laughs> um.
5: no, wait, I was far. the bad example. No, let's. But,
4: but, to, to help you with that one, sir, When it comes to emotionally charge as far as that, your feelings or moral values and jumping in, in right. and being part of the situation, but take it into context when you think about at work when you are angry
2: about something and you're mad that your team doesn't. Get your idea
4: and make a rational, emotional decision that you're going to go in this direction or the direction that you want it to go. Instead of taking and probably a step back, realizing what's really the problem, and then deflecting that emotion in another way. So it's hard because we talk about probably the negative part would be the emotional decision is probably not the right one because you're in the heat of the moment and maybe really, really angry. Um, or vice, maybe you're just at the right state
7: of mind to make that decision on the emotional part. I've seen it a lot when when you're drafting emails. uh, I believe for probably the last 15 years of my career, I've I've drafted many emotional emails, (laughs) many. And every single one of them in the last 15 years, I've not sent it's on 24 hours. Mm -hmm. And I have somebody else in
5: general. Mm
7: -hmm. Uh, Because I know that usually, emotional decisions in business, are probably going
5: to find the No, that's fair. That's very fair. I agree. And I, I want to expand on what you said actually, sir. So initially we recognized, we recognized the many different ways you can make th- decisions. Gut feelings, you've seen it before, emotional decision. And when you were speaking there, you said somebody on your team or somebody in your group makes an emotional decision and you recognize it, right? What you're doing is what he said. You've been here before, right? like, I see what's going on there. And because I see what's going on there, I'm able to react to it in a certain way that doesn't make the scenario worse. right? right? I'll pull that back even to even saying, before you go in and you confront somebody, let's say, in a meeting, in a scenario, before you send that email, you have a gut feeling. How is this going to go, right? And you write it all out, and then you read it, and you're like, hmm. But you have a gut feeling, I just shouldn't send this, and that's why you sit on it for 24 hours, all right? So what I what I would say is, We do all these things already in daily life. We need to be better about recognizing when we're doing it in a professional life, in your personal life maybe, right? I think my fiance would appreciate it if I was very, very calculated in my personal life. But in your professional life, I think you need to recognize the steps. You need to, give me one second. You need to recognize when your emotions are up, when tensions are up, when you're angry. You need to recognize the tools that are in front of you and how you can utilize those tools, how you can reference something, whether it be a person, a pub, Uh, and order, and then you need to make the decision at the end of the day. But I I would challenge that if you go through the steps, if you allow yourself to feel what you're feeling, if you allow yourself to be educated enough to lean on that education, the decision that you make will always be better than if you had made a rash, uncalculated decision. I'll tie this back to what Taylor was speaking about earlier with JJ did tight buckle. We can't be everything at one time, right? There are times of weaknesses. As a company commander, I had about 140 Marines at one point, and I told them, if you come to me because you've, you decided, you decided to make a bad decision, I'm not on your side. If you come to me and you've made a mistake, we'll we'll work through that, right? Right? So making a mistake is never earth shattering. It always seems like it within the sphere of, of your life or your bubble. All it is, is an opportunity to learn. So if you get a DUI this weekend and next weekend, we got a problem. If you got a DUI once and I've told you, like you've had tons of examples of how to not do this, I'm irritated, right? Repeated action, repeated bad decision-making is a bad thing. But making a, mistake, making a mistake is always accepted, in my opinion. And you have to foster an environment for which your subordinates, your superiors, and your peers can make mistakes, period. For those who were looking at the slides, I pushed past one slide, but it was we were talking about advantages of analytical versus recognition decision making. I think we've been talking that we've been talking about that already, so I'm just going to keep pushing the conversation forward. Uh, so I'll, I'll expand on human factors and saying we've kind of said it a, a few times and saying that nobody's perfect, right? Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody's affected by their environment, uh, positively or negative, negatively. Uh, for me, the easiest way to explain human factors is if I wake up and my dog needs to go outside, if it's sunny, I'm happy to do it. If it's raining, I'm like, this is going to be a short walk, right? <laughs> human factors. So that's how I look at that. And in, in, the, in the scenario of decision making, there are always going to be all kinds of pieces that are jumping into how you think. It's gonna be, I need to manage my colleague's emotions. He did something wrong, and she did something wrong, and I know what's wrong, and they're briefing. Like, I don't wanna make them sad, but I also want this to be done right. Human factors, right? You have, you have many minute decisions that you make prior to serious decision. And I'll end with, I gave a DUI example earlier, and I wanna clear it up, I wanna clear it up. I had a Marine, oh, I've had Marines in the past that have made mistakes, big mistakes. And, I'm, and, I, and I tell them, okay, what were the decisions that you made prior to getting here, right? Everybody said, hey, we went out drinking, we took a car, we had a DD, we'll take an Uber home. It's like, what, the decision that you could not make prior to going out was taking the Uber out, right? So the DUI is not the, oh, this is the lapse in judgment. The lapse in judgment happened when you were at home drinking and pre when you were already in a altered state of mind and you're making your plans for the night, now it's two in the morning, somebody gets behind the wheel, drives home, something bad happens. What could have happened six hours earlier is decisions that would have led you back to your bed that night and safely at home. So decision-making is not, it's not always you know, the grand decision that's made. There's so many pieces that go into it and you, you, we need to be cognizant of that and hope that the, the minor decisions that we make lead us to the end state that we want. Uh, I appreciate your time, passing it on.
0: You're listening to Marine Corps Leadership Seminar, a professional development seminar featuring Dr. Kenneth Dunn, Captain Michelle Chadwick, Captain Taylor Paul, Captain Charlene DeLuce, and Captain Oludare Adenije. Brought to you by the U.S. Marine Corps and the Global Catalyst for Change, the Bay of STEM Global Competitiveness Conference, where we make the untapped potential possible. Be sure to check out our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube.
4: All right. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. So we talked about, um, leadership traits. We've talked about leadership principles and uh, Dari went over some decision-making variables um, and methods. So right now we're going to talk about how do we actually make decisions, right? Like so you talk about making decisions, but how do we actually make decisions? Uh, This topic is rather interesting because there really is no one way to make decisions, right? And then within the context of the setting that you're in or the situation that you're in that will determine or inform what type of decision, how quickly you make the decisions and whatnot. So um, moving forward. So in in the military context in the Marine Corps, we often teach the the Boyd cycle. There are several leadership theories, principles, and and decision making um, tools out there um, to, to help educate and inform us in making decisions. But we've talked about it before that really just practice essentially helps make you better at making decisions. And so in um, and, and the Marine Corps, we teach the Boyd cycle, which was developed by an Air Force Colonel, um, John Boyd. He was a fighter pilot in the Korean War. And what, the, what he found was, or what he found, or what he determined, or what he has said, is that um, in order to win, right, in order to be better, you have to make decisions quicker than your opponent. And in the time of war, that makes sense, right? You're, you're, you're flying, planes and the bad guys want to kill you and you want to stay alive and so it makes sense that that you want to um you want to beat them or get them before they get you so that makes sense but i would argue that um it's not just making it faster than than your opponent in the time of war um it's it's in all it's in various aspects right and in in any any kind of uh decision that you that you need uh to make on a day-to-day basis yes michelle Okay, so her question to me was, um, in, in, in my field, how do I, on a daily basis, make, make decisions faster than my opponents? So, as I stated before, I'm a human resource officer, really a manpower officer in the Marine Corps, but um, my opponents are rule are violators, right? Um, people who, who don't do what they're supposed to do. Um, and I'm going to I'm gonna try to, to speak civilian, right? So so rule violators, rule breakers, and not necessarily... Um, sometimes that can even be yourself, right? So not necessarily the leader or the person that's over you that isn't enforcing the rules and the regulations and the policies in accordance to how they're intended to be, but also you yourself understanding the rules and regulations and choosing to um, intentionally break them, right? And so how do I do it? For me, I, Preparation is key. Understanding those rules, right? So being able to make those corrections, speak on what they are, referencing more quickly, because if, because in that time, I can't say, wait a minute, hold on, let me go to this publication, let me go to this tool, let me go to this resource and flip through and try to get it. I need to be well informed on what the rules and the policies are so I can make educated decisions, informed decisions and actually be the enforcer or be the advocate for that person who is being violated or being wrongfully treated and and such. So that that is kind of a very broad way in which I think um, it applies for me in the human resource field. Um, And in a more simple, not simple, but just a less um, challenging environment, right? You just think about Um, opportunities, employment opportunities, right? So how do you prepare yourself um, so that when that opportunity arrives that you can actually um, be ready for it, right? So the opponent is every other applicant, you know, doing your research on the company that you want to be hired by, educating yourself so that, preparing yourself, doing the interview, um, practicing your interview skills, making sure you have all the information that you need about that company, preparing, practicing, just Getting, gathering all the information that you can so that when you are faced with whatever that question is or whatever the opportunity is that you're prepared, you set your best foot forward. And so, as I stated before, um, you know, John, this cycle is really was created um, by this gentleman during a time of war, but it is applicable across all fields and, and, and all situations in life. So the Boyd cycle is essentially a four-phase um, cycle that, that filters information um, and recognizing putting it into context and recognizing um, that a decision needs to, be make, needs to be made, while also understanding, though, that um, as more information comes in, you update that decision. So it's not a, OK, I've done these things and then that's it. So for instructional purposes, we've broken it down into four steps. And the first one is O, observe. Um, and that's where, that's your information gathering phase. So that's where you, you take, a, you, you gather in as much information as you can, you, you're settling into your environment. Um, and sometimes you have a lot of time to gather information and sometimes you don't, right? So with the time allotted, gathering as much information, surveying your surroundings as best you can, and then you orient yourself. So you recognize or you've identified a problem Um, we're going to call it a problem, but you identify that something needs to be done, a decision needs to be made. And so given the information that you've observed, that you've gathered from your surroundings, right, how do I posture myself to make the decision or to approach this problem that I've or situation that I've identified um, that needs action on? Then you decide, you know, whether you go with a gut feeling or uh, it's just an easy kind of black and white answer, you're like, well, that's the right thing to do. That's what I'm going to go with. But oftentimes in life, it's just not that easy. Um, and so you, you choose a promising course of action and then you commit to it and you act and you act confidently um, because in theory, you have given the information you had, you've oriented yourself the best possible way, you've made the best decision and then you acted on it. <clears throat> and so I like the arrows because as I pointed um, out earlier, it's just not that simple. It's cyclical. You update it as often as you receive information. And so you might act and you realize, wait a minute, that probably w- wasn't the, the best. But now that I know this, I can orient myself in, a, in another way um, and, and execute in that way. Yes, ma'am. I mean, so the question was, how big or small can you apply the OODA loop um, process, OODA loop cycle? And I've stated it, you know, twice already, that I, I, per, I think that it's applicable in all aspects of life. And so, um, you were in the market of buying a car, right? Dari asked. And uh, of the Honda and the, let's just say, you chose, did you choose the Honda? Or did you choose the Escalade? I should, I chose, choose the Honda. You would have chose the Honda? Okay. Um, why would you have chosen the Honda?
6: Um, probably because, uh, it's, it's, I would probably would have had more fun in that than the, I think the Escalade would have been too big and what I, my needs, my requirements were, were such that, uh, it made more sense for me to get the, the Honda over the Escalade in that situation.
4: Okay, so he would have chosen a Honda. It's more fun. It's more practical. It, it, it suits his needs. Um, life so here's the example that i will go with then so all right so you need to be here at 215 you're in your honda you're riding down the streets of dc which is always problematic um so you're riding down the streets of dc and you you observe that the light has just turned yellow right and so you look around, you make sure that there are no cops on the corner, right? And there are no cameras, because most importantly, those cameras get you quicker than the cops get you around here. So, um, so yeah, so you, you, you gather, that's, you, you're observing and you're gathering your information and then, then you, you orient yourself like, okay, I I recognize that I could slow down, like I could ease off of the gas and step on the brake and slow down and stop at this yellow light. or I can accelerate through and, and, and make it through, right? So, so now you've oriented yourself and you decide, oh, this is one of those 90-second lights. I'm already late. The course starts at 2.15. No, there are no cameras. I don't see a cop. Well, there are cameras, but I don't see a cop. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to step on that gas, right? So you, you've made a decision given all of that information and then you acted on it. And because let's face it, in D.C., it's cheaper to to run the red light than to stop short. So um, you make that decision and you just and and you go with it. That is a, an extremely simple, I think, example um, on how you can apply the OODA loop. Right. Um, but let's say you did see a cop or someone was crossing the street. So now you've already decided I'm going to act. I'm going to fly through this light. or I'm going to try to make it. But then you see a pedestrian crossing the street. So that's more information that you now applied to the decision making process and you change course of action and you and you break so i, I don't know if that if that helps um, it's very simple um, and 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 as i stated for instructional purposes we, we've kind of broken it down into steps but but we all can agree and you're thinking mm-hmm. about certain things it's not as streamlined as that sometimes two of those steps they they run in together um, it may seem like, oh, I just went straight from observe to act because I needed to do something in a rapid um, time frame. And other times, you've got months to gather information and to orient yourself, and and so forth and so on. Again, the the goal is to to make quick decisions, and and it's understanding that it's a continuous process. So, thank you for your time.
2: All right, so we're not done yet. <laughs> Um, And, you know, you know, real quick before we uh, before I continue to move on is, you know, I think Cam Deleuze gave some great examples. And, you know, to earlier what uh, Cam Paul mentioned, you guys know what this stuff is. We're just here reminding you and putting it into practice. You guys do the loop every single day and you don't even know it. So it's starting to recognize that so you can put in practice and remember it. So, I mean, you all decided to get up this morning, right? You oriented yourself around the room, right? You decided that you were going to get out of bed and whether or not you were going to shower, right? I think, I think you all smell pretty good, but yeah. But, but we do this every single day, and it's just realizing what it's called. It's putting a word to it. So that way, when you're in a situation that you don't necessarily know what you're like, oh my God, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what's going on. You're like, okay, I need to put a word to this. What am I doing right now? I oriented, okay, so now what do I need to do? So I observed, I oriented, now I need to make a decision. The decision's on me, and let me tell you, we're gonna talk about decision making next, but it's the lack of a decision is also a decision. I'll I'll leave that out there, and we're gonna talk about that a little bit as we move forward, okay? And then we're gonna act by putting you through these case studies right up after this, okay? So, look at this picture pretty simple, right? Did you bring the tackle? We're going fishing, did you bring the tackle? You sure did, didn't you? So you're a pretty big tackle. Is that the one we need while we're going fishing? (laughs) So how do we have clear and concise communication? How do we do that? How do we do that in every day? Give me some examples of what you do to ensure you're giving clear and concise communication.
6: You ask the person to repeat, like not to repeat, but like just ask the person to like re-explain what you explained to them, I guess. So they know, like we're both on the same like wavelength of thought. So ask them
2: to say what they just said. Yeah. I'm just repeating what you said. Oh. I got <laughs> them <what> you <saying. laughs> Somebody else. Yes, sir. Here you
7: go. The biggest thing that I do in my job is after a phone conversation or an in-person conversation, you send a follow-up email basically saying, I'm confirming this is what you said so that they can confirm that and you have documentation to cover your butt later.
2: Yeah, exactly. All of these are accurate. All of these are correct. You know, one of the things that I, I use most certainly is if we're gonna say the same word, do we mean the same thing? Biggest thing that I've recognized, especially working at Headquarters Marine Corps and working the difference between military and civilian. And the other thing is if you don't know something, you don't know what somebody says, you have to ask the question. I don't, I did I did it just this morning. Somebody said an acronym to me. And and uh, they were like, you know, RMB, and I was like, I'm sorry, sir. I don't know what that means. Can you please explain it to me? And they're like, "Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. My 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 bad. I didn't And it's something simple as that, but being able to have, you know, those leadership traits that we talked about earlier, that fortitude to be able to come forward and ask that question. Because if not, you're just walking into the dark, willingly, right? You're willingly making that decision, like Captain Mataniji talked about earlier. All right, just gonna move on so we can get to some of these decision-making exercises. So So we talked about some of this stuff as we've been talking today, task and purpose. Do the people that you're giving those instructions to, do they have your end state? That helps them to be able to execute without having to check back with you if they have to make an indecision moment, you know, a decision in the moment. You know what I mean? Do they have their purpose? Their why? I'll talk about I'll talk to you later afterwards, and that's really important to me knowing what your why is. Knowing what your task is, what's the end state? Who, what, when, where, why, okay? We talked about the end state. 70% solution. In the, in the military and the Marine Corps, we use this all the time. Somebody read that for me, that quote there.
7: A good plan violently, violently executed now is better than a perfect plan executed next week.
2: Yes, absolutely. General Patton said this a while ago, and it still holds true. Sometimes you don't have the time, but if you go and you violently execute, now you may be alive later to do something else. You see what I'm saying? So the lack of making a decision is your decision, okay? So always choose to put the odds in your favor by making your decision. Command presence. My slides you are going to have pictures. I love pictures. This is Dr. Dunn's favorite picture. I love to call him out on this. You know, what do you see? What does this cat see? A lion. Now, I like to flip it on its head a little bit and say, you know, do I think too highly of myself? It could be that too, right? Some There's a balance. There's a balance, right? What is command presence? It's being able to confidently get in front of your people, your men, your women, your coworkers, whomever it is, and be able to speak confidently. And we, uh, we say all the time, fake it until you make it. Right? <laughs> Some of you know what I'm talking about. But if you have that knowledge, you're able to confidently talk about different subjects and you can roll with it. You're like, yep, I'm gonna pick it up and I'm gonna go with it because there is no option to fail. Time doesn't stop. You talked about time earlier, right? Time doesn't stop, right? Never is going to wait on you. How do we display positive command presence? One of the things that I do is making sure I'm always doing the right thing, even when I think no one's looking. Because you know what? Somebody is looking. And I may not even know it. Cam Deleuze talked about police officers and cameras and things like that. Someone is always watching nowadays. Y'all know that. Verbal and nonverbal. We communicate in many different ways. But it's being able to pick up on that. And we said, I can tell. I can tell when you made an emotional decision or you had an emotional reaction. How do I know? Not just by the words he said, but it's by his actions. It's by his body language, things like that. So being able to have experience with those two, you're going to come into contact with them but it's being able to have that confidence and humbleness to be able to realize when you recognize those the wrong way or the right way, to be able to identify that. This is all the things that we went over today, okay? We're going to put all of this to challenge right now. Are you ready? Yeah? I hope so. I'm not going to give you any questions. We're gonna roll right on. What is this? What does a compass do? Gives us a direction, right? We're gonna calibrate your compasses today, your moral compass today. You know, I like to say it's mental, physical, spiritual, and you gotta kind of keep this balance, right? Because if you're too far one way, you're off, you're off too north, you're off your direction. How good is your compass at that point? Right? So let's see what you would do.
3: All right. So you have me again. All right. So here's what I'm here to do right now. I'm here to prep the battlefield for Captain DeLuce to come up here and give an awesome ethical leadership discussion. All right. What I'm going to do is I'm going to prep you with a, with, a, with a less complex one. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and talk while you guys read. Okay. All right. So again, we talked a lot today about exercising those muscles, right? I told you about how I truly believe that like a a decision where you recognize patterns and you make uh, make that decision quickly is the pinnacle of decision making, right? The way that we exercise those muscles is you practice and you practice and you practice, not necessarily even when you are in a position where you have to make that decision, but in positions like this where you test yourself against historical studies or studies you have made up yourself. We do this all the time in the military. We test ourselves and we exercise this muscle, all right? Okay, has everyone had a chance to read the scenario? Okay, I think we all probably have pretty strong feelings I know that you guys probably think these are problems that we don't deal with in the military, but I counseled a Marine on this today, believe it or not. So my opinions are fresh as well. So who is going to argue that um, you did the right thing as the project manager? You did the right thing by marking down Joe. Who's going to argue you did the right thing? I know somebody's thinking it, but you don't want to raise your hand. And in situations like this, it's okay. Like there are no wrong answers, okay? It is okay to plumb the depths of your own soul and figure these things out, okay? Go ahead. My team, my team matters, right? Joe's going somewhere else. Joe can take care of himself, right? Okay, so who's gonna argue against what the project manager did? What you got, back here.
7: If it's uh, just another department, who knows that even if yourself gets promoted, but now you move to that department. Right. But, um, you have to be able to keep the fair fair fair, so if people that work with Joe within that same department, such as Mike, and knows that Mike or Joe was performing better, um, it gives pretty much Mike an opportunity to know who he can strive to become. Um, But if you said, no, you're doing great at what you're doing, you're number one, don't change anything, Um, then he's not really going to grow as a person. He has someone to chase
3: they Right. Okay, so I'm I'm not going to take more opinions because, like I said, I want to move on to the the Super Bowl of these things, which is what Captain Luce is coming up here with, all right? (laughs) Now, again, conflict is good. There are no right answers in these questions. Sometimes argue the other way to see how you would feel about it. You know what I'm saying? So there are no wrong answers to these questions, all right? But at the end of the day, the um, leadership principles, the leadership um, fundamentals we talked about earlier. How do you apply those principles that you understand academically up here to how you live your life? And that's really what I want you guys to think about when Captain DeLuce comes up here, all right?
4: All right, ladies and gentlemen, so this is a case study. It's a lot to read. Um, I'll, I'll read through it. The mood at Baileyville University is tense with anticipation. For the first time in many, many years, the varsity basketball team has made it to the state semifinals. The community is excited too, and everyone is making plans to attend the big event next Saturday night. Jeff, the coach, has been waiting for years to field such a team. He tells his team, only one more week to practice, not one rule can be broken. Everyone must be at practice each night at the regularly scheduled time, no exceptions. Brad and Mike and two are the team's starters. From their perspective, they're indispensable to the team, the guys who will bring victory to Baileyville. They decide, for whatever reason, to show up an hour late to the next day's practice. Jeff is furious. They have deliberately disobeyed his orders. The rule says they should be suspended for one full week. If he follows the rule, Brad and Mike will not play in the semifinals. But the whole team is depending on them. What should he do? What should he do? Jeff should stick to his word. The whole team, the whole community is counting on this. It's been years. Since Baileyville has made it to the semifinals, has gone to the finals, the Super Bowl, Kansas City Chiefs.
6: Okay. So they're right. He should stick to his word, but I feel like since everyone else is depending on that um, the, those two players, he can like change that one week suspension to like another week. Yeah, it could be, it doesn't have to be like the week when they're playing the game. It could be another week. He's still sticking to his word, but he's like changing like. He's finding like a different way of going about his word, I guess. Is what
4: matters, man. So, <laughs> so winning, right? So winning is all that matters. So, what about the perception though that, that we're making exceptions to the rule for these two individuals? Or depend?
5: I would say my first thought was uh, just keep with the rule, no exceptions, and not let them play because if there's no uh, consequences, then there will be no discipline in the team. Um, I think they'll learn from it. Uh, maybe go to the semifinals next year and make it to the finals, learning from that discipline. But also there's no background saying what the reason was. So maybe that decision might change when they figure out why they were late.
4: So, so does it matter if there was a, is, there was an excusable reason that they were late? I mean, the situation says for whatever reason. So it could be sickness. It could be just laziness on their part. So you are you, are does anybody think that if there is a, an excusable reason, then the, then the situation changes.
7: I don't think so, because perception is reality. If you make that decision now, as soon as you make that decision next year, if something like that happens again, they're going to think they're going to get that same leeway that the other people got. Otherwise, now your character is destroyed a little
0: bit.
3: Hold on. What you got? You want to keep this contract?
6: No, nah, I was just going to add, we're all making an assumption that the team is going to lose. This team still could win irrespective of the two players, but it goes back to accountability. And once you break the rule once, it sets the bad tone for the rest of the season. But the team still can win without the two best players. win a moral
4: victory. What you got? So, so basically, I mean, there's an entire... Go ahead.
7: I'll, I'll, I'll let you see. I was just going to say, like, what if one of their fathers died? I mean, there are circumstances in which we might choose to have a different decision. And it says whatever decision, I think the first thing he should do is find out what happened.
4: Right. So. So what about what about me? I'm on the team. I think I'm equally as good as Mike, but nobody has given me the opportunity to rise to the occasion. You've set this rule. I obey the rules. I follow the rules every single rule. And I'm an HR. Right. So I'm a rule enforcer. (laughs) Right. So I follow the rules. So are you saying that the only way, as this gentleman said back there, like so, we're putting all our, all of our faith in these two, and and not really kind of holding to our word, holding to those rules, and really, what example does it set for everybody else on the team?
6: So
7: my thoughts is it goes back to have you taught your team or enabled them to be able to adjust to change mm-hmm. because circumstances like life change and. Putting all your eggs in that one basket, you know, you can't, it may go away and the team needs to, you know, have to, yeah, I think it's a part of being a team
4: that is not like take one of those two. Okay. All right. So that, that wraps up the situation, uh, this case study. I particularly like it. It's vague intentionally, right? Because it, 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 it entices con- conversation. Um, but you, you made a point that is, I think is, that is extremely important is that decision making is not always black and white. And oftentimes, you have to operate in, in that in the gray area with 70% of the information. We maybe, maybe his father died, maybe he didn't. But also, you pointed out the importance of getting input from everybody else involved, right? And, and creating rules that are enforceable in that, and the account, the importance of accountability. So that's my time. I appreciate your attention. Um, I'm gonna pass it over to Dr. Dunn. Thank you very much.
1: Hey, let's give a hand to these captains. Come on. Yeah. As I, as I said, uh, when we started, all right, this is a snapshot. Okay. These are, uh, these are young officers, all right? By the time they're senior officers, like, uh, the Colonel back there, Colonel Williamson, they may have different opinions on all of this, to be honest with you. I mean, I sit back sometimes and say, I wouldn't have said that. I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> no, nah, nah, well, I'm not changing the rules for those, uh, for anybody at Baileyville, you know? Um, But what we intended to do was just give you a snapshot of leadership as we see it, all right? And uh, I think the captains did a great job. We shoved 360 minutes into 75 minutes this afternoon, and I think we're going to finish right on time. I can't even believe that. I thought for sure we'd go over. But we we appreciate you all coming into Leadership Seminar, all right? As I said earlier, though, once you leave college and you sign a contract with someone, or someone hires you, you're going to have to lead something. You're not going to be able to stay in a corner somewhere and read your computer screen and say, I don't want to be bothered. And that's where you'll stay, okay, unless you're leading someone. We just want to give you some things to think about in uh leadership. As I said before, though, all right, this is, not, this is not intended to uh, recruit you, all right, but it's subliminal. Mr. Jones, we can talk about you coming on in and uh, probably serving as a reservist or something, all right, if, uh, if, that, uh, if that's what you'd like to do. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of the day. Uh, all right.
0: Thank you for listening to Marine Corps Leadership Seminar, a professional development seminar presented by the U.S. Marine Corps. Featuring Director of the Marine Corps Leadership Seminar, Dr. Kenneth Dunn, Mechanical Engineer, Captain Michelle Chadwick, Infantry Officer, Captain Taylor Paul, Manpower Officer, Captain Charlene DeLuce, and Data Analyst, Captain Oludare Adeniji. If you have enjoyed this presentation, be sure to attend the BEA STEM Global Competitiveness Conference. For more information on how you, your company, or organization can take part, visit www.bea.org. For college students, contact us at 410-244-7101.